Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. We're in Joshua 22. All the tribes are settled in, and the eastern tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they have been released from the military duty that they uh, were obligated in their military service to help the rest of Israel uh, to conquer. And they have gone back to their lands east of the Jordan River, and they were feeling a little bit of isolation, because there's a long way off to get back over there. And uh, on the other side of the Jordan, it's kind of they feel separated now from their brothers. And so uh, the Israelites hear about this new altar that they built. They built a new altar out there. Remember, the tabernacle is at Shiloh. And so they go and they built their own altar uh, elsewhere. The, the reason the Israelites were having a problem with the second altar is, comes out of Leviticus 17 and 8. It says, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And so the Israelites out west are getting ready for war over this new altar that the eastern tribes have built. They're getting ready to go to battle over it. But before having a knee-jerk reaction, let's just go over there and beat them up. Before doing that, they send out a delegation with Phineas the priest to try to resolve this conflict. That's kind of a good way to do things. Resolve it before you just go crazy on everybody. Joshua 22 and 16, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? Although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So they accused these eastern tribes of turning away from God. You're supposed to bring your stuff to the tabernacle. You're fallen from God by building this other altar. And they have a good reason to believe that this altar is going to bring wrath on the whole nation. So they bring up two past situations in verse 17. They mentioned Peor. This comes from Numbers 25, 1. 
Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who are joined to Baal of Peor. That's pretty severe. And so when the Israelites said in Joshua 22, verse 17, in verse 17, they mentioned Peor. They said, is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us? What they were asking is, do you actually want more of this mess that happened when God said, hang the offenders? Do y'all actually want more is what they're really trying to get at. Was Peor not enough? And they also reminded the eastern tribes what happened to Achan. Man, I don't forget Achan because his name sounds like the word Achan, like my back does. It's like that was an Achan scenario. And so they reminded the eastern tribes what happened to Achan back in Joshua 17, uh, verse seven, uh, chapter 7. Achan stole some of the accursed things from Jericho after they conquered it, and they weren't supposed to. God says, don't take any spoils from this town. And because of Achan's sin was in the camp, God refused to help Israel conquer the next city of Ai. They wouldn't, he wouldn't help them conquer Ai. And 36 men died because of it. God would not help them. So Joshua was distressed over this defeat at Ai, the loss of 36 men. That's 36 families. That's 36 close friends and friends of friends. It, it affected everybody. In Joshua 7.10, let's review it real quick. It says, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. That's harsh. You can't stand before your enemies when you have accursed things in your life. When you have little secret little sins. He said they hid it among their own stuff, or they put it among their own stuff. Okay, I'll I'll bury it in my tent. Nobody knows it's there. It's secret. Nobody knows it's there. Well, God knows it's there. And when God knows you've got a little secret sin in your life, you cannot stand before your enemies. Very severe here. And so you can see why the Israelites are so concerned, serious, about this second altar that the eastern tribes uh, had built. Now, Achan, he never actually repented of what he did. He, he coughed it up because he was kind of forced to, but he never repented of it. He never fell down in distress and said, I have sinned and Father, forgive me. He didn't do none of that. And so Israel killed him because they had to get the willful sin, the unrepentant sin, out of the camp because there's going to be too much a mess. If the enemy come in, they wouldn't be able to fight him off. So this is where modern Christians, I think, have a wrong impression of God. They think God will tolerate sin because he loves the person so much. Well, I love you so much. Keep sinning. It's all right. It's okay. Uh, I I just love you so much. Just go go ahead. No, it's not okay. Because you've got enemies out there, and they are ready to take you down. And God goes, hey, you want that sin? I'm done fighting for you. You ever realize this? You ever have defeats in your life that maybe this is part of why we have defeats in our life? They think God will tolerate sin. 
And so you hear the talk of tolerance today, tolerance, tolerance, because they think God will tolerate it. He wouldn't. They had to kill Achan. And this is a deception that people have that's costing people their lives because they continue in willful sin, not realizing that it damages other people around them too, because Achan did not die alone for what he did. He didn't die alone. They mentioned this when they're warning the Eastern tribes, hey, Achan didn't go down for this by himself, not to mention the 36 men who died in battle. So now look at Joshua 22 and 20 real quick. It says, they said to them, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Guys, when you have a secret little sin that you're playing with and you think, well, nobody knows about it, but God does, and you can't stand against your enemy, you come in here or you with your other family, it's going to take them with you. It affects all of us. The need to repent of our sin is hugely important. Like I said, God dealt with me real hard this week for me to even be able to get up and preach this message at all because, Ray, you're not taking that in there, that congregation, and affect them. That's, God speaks Texan to me like that, okay? That's the way he talks. Ray, cut that out, boy. <laughs> in Israel, he might talk a little different. <laughs> he probably speaks in Hebrew. <laughs> But the reason the Israelites are concerned about this new altar is because they're afraid that God's wrath is going to fall on all of them because of this new altar. They're afraid of that. And a lot of people could die from it. Basically, your, your new altar not only endangers you from God's wrath, it also endangers us, and we're not going to have it. So we're here to either wage war and knock it down, or what. this ain't going to stand like it is, is kind of their point. Joshua. 7 and 13, I want to show you where he says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So the delegation went to see the eastern tribes. They're thinking this this altar is an accursed thing. We need to take it out from among us so that we don't all go down for it. Israel had just settled after a long war of seven whole years. They did not want their enemies now coming in right when we're trying to settle down. They didn't want the enemy to come in and mess everything up. I mean, we're just getting it right. We don't want to ruin this. They felt the whole nation was in jeopardy because of the second altar. I want us to look again at what the Israelite delegation said in verse 19, Joshua 22 and 19. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us, but do not rebel against the Lord. If your side's messed up, get over here, but don't do this. The eastern tribes were still family. They're still Israelites. So they wanted to give them an alternative. If your land's defiled, come live over here. Come on this side. This is an overly generous offer here that they're, that they're extending to them. Hey, we really love you, but don't provoke God's wrath. Joshua 22 and verse 21 says, Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion, or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. 
If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. So basically, the, the Western tribes went to re- give a rebuke to the Eastern tribes. And you know what? By the way they answered, they took it well. And I think that's very important because most people don't. Most people don't take a rebuke well at all. So you can tell that God's here working among them. If you've ever had to go to a brother and say, hey, brother, look, there's a problem here that we need to resolve, that we need to fix, and this here is the problem, and it needs to stop. Most people blow up. They can't take it. But the Eastern tribes are taking it well. Now, in our limited English, we just read that it says, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. You're thinking, why'd they say that twice? Well, they didn't. (laughs) In their language... In the Hebrew, they, they said multiple names of God. They probably said Elohim, Yahweh, the mighty one, God, the Lord. But in our limited English, it just says the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. We, our, our language is not that expanded like theirs is. So that, the, the, they were invoking God by multiple names that he has. They're, they're calling him by the, these various names. Elohim, Yahweh, Mighty One, the Lord God, the Lord. They invoked God as a witness using his name, stating that if this act of building the second altar was rebellious to God, then they agreed, yeah, if we did this out of rebellion, then yeah, we do deserve his his punishment. We do deserve his wrath. They're agreeing with the West tribes. The West tribes, hey, you can't build this. It's going to provoke God's wrath because it's rebellion. No, 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 we didn't do it for rebellion. And if we did, yeah, we agree, then we deserve the mess. So wait a minute, what's going on here? They're saying they would be guilty if that was the case, but they didn't build it for that reason. So Joshua 22 and 24, they're going to explain. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Basically what they just said, because remember when they went to the eastern side, they went way over that valley, past the Jordan, way out there. They're very separated. They're afraid that future descendants are going to come and say, you are so separated, you have no part in God anymore. So that's why they built the altar. It's kind of a reminder that yes, we do have part to do with God. That's why they're saying it. Basically, they said, we didn't build this altar because we fell away from God, but to keep our children from falling away from God, to remind them, we're way out here. We built this altar to keep them from falling from God. They were afraid the future generations would think their being isolated was so far away that that that, that must mean they were cut from covenant. Basically, they were scared their kids would be accused of being breakaways. So they built this altar so that their kids could see it and know that just because the Jordan was bordered between them and the rest of Israel, that does not mean that the eastern tribes have no part in God. That's why they built this altar. What we got going on here is two different perceptions. The western tribes see it this way, the eastern tribes see it another way, and now they're talking it out. Their intention for building this new altar was not over separation. It was about unity, actually, with the rest of Israel. They were afraid the false accusations would cause their descendants to stop fearing God. So they built the new altar to remind them to keep the fear of God. It was actually the eastern tribe's perception of this altar was opposite 
what the Western tribes were thinking that they were doing. Oh, now we're getting the story figured out between each other. So the Western and Eastern tribes, they were about to go to war over this whole thing. But the good thing here is that God was in this, working out the conflict. That's what's great about it. Joshua 22 and 26. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not, look at that, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice. I'm so glad they said that. Not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness, a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Like, man, now they spelled it out. No, 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 we're not doing this for sacrifices and offerings. Far be it. We're going to the one at the tabernacle. Okay, now we're getting things figured out. I feel a little better. You know, I was reading this, and I was getting kind of worked up. I'm so glad that they said this altar is not for sacrifices. It's merely a replica. It's a replica. A witness, they called it between you and us, a witness. Them saying that it was not for sacrifices would alleviate the Western tribes from thinking that the East tribes were intending to break Levitical law. They're like, oh, they're not going to break the law after all. It's okay now. But they said they were going to keep the sacrifice at the tabernacle. But buddy, let me tell you something right here. Here's where it's going to pick up. When they called that altar a witness, That right there caused this story to take on a whole new direction, big time. I had studied for this all week, and I was sick all week, and I had a lot of time to be at home and look into this. And last night, I was was getting ready to go to bed, and I was just about to flop down, and God said, you ain't done. You missed the best part. Get back in your office and finish. (laughs) I was like, okay, what did I miss? He goes, you missed that they called it a witness. They called this altar. A witness. So I got to looking into this. A witness. What is a witness? A witness is something or someone that testifies to and verifies a truth. They testify to a truth and they verify the truth. In a court case, if you call in a witness to take the stand to testify and verify a truth, that's what a witness does. Look, you've got a bunch of Israelites. They're ready to draw swords over the violation of Levitical law. But the Eastern tribes say they had no intention of doing sacrifices on this new altar because they said in verse 27 that they don't want anyone telling them that they have no part in the Lord. That's why why they built it. 
so that we have we can show that we have a part in the Lord that we may perform the service of the Lord before him before him it says with our sacrifices they have every intention of going back to Shiloh at the tabernacle now hang with me I'm trying to dress it up this means they wanted to preserve their right to keep their sacrifices before the Lord at the tabernacle that's what they meant when they said our sacrifices before him our sacrifices before God. They're trying to really make that point. We intend to keep it before God. That's the point. Verse 29, they said, Far be it that we do our offerings besides the altar of the Lord, which is before His tabernacle. So they're assuring, assuring the Western tribes, sacrifices have to be brought to the tabernacle before God. And so this is where the key moment happened that just diffused this whole conflict. We did not make this altar for sacrifices, we made it for a witness between you and us. We made it for a witness between you and us. They wanted something that would testify and verify that it is truth that we are not cut off. You need a witness to stand there and say, you're not cut off. That's what the altar was for. But they are entitled to come before God. Now you hang on to that for a minute, because it's going to blow up all over y'all, and it's going to feel real good, okay? Joshua 22 and 30. Now when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Wow. Okay, they're seeing it. (laughs) God's here. Look at the reconciliation that just happened. I bet Phineas is breathing a huge sigh of relief because they were about to go to war over this thing. We have been spared of God's wrath. It was almost a war, but it was a war that had just gotten taken care of by God's presence, by the Lord's presence. This is a joyful resolution to a terrifying crisis. This is a joyful resolution to a terrifying crisis. Joshua 22 and 32. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness. They gave it a name. What name? Witness. I've been trying to stress that. They called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So I love that, how they called the altar witness, because that altar testified and verified the truth of family between them, that they're all Israelites. Now, like I said, when I read this chapter, I was on the edge of my seat. There's so much riding on this. I don't want them to go to war again. (laughs) Don't do, not now. We're just settling down. I don't want the enemy coming in and messing stuff up. And also the reason I was on the edge of my seat on this is because I have been in this very same situation. My sin 
provoked God's wrath, and it would have been the end of me. And so there was a great conflict between me and God. But a priest mediator was sent out to get in between me and God to resolve out our differences. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.